0: If you're going to stay in here with us, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 13. We'll be picking up where we left off last week. Uh, Thank you, Greg. Thank you for the card, and thank you, church, for uh, support and appreciation for me. Um, I really do am humbled by that. Um, Thank you. Uh, For the past few weeks... Uh, Jesus has been teaching, Uh, we've been in a section about 10 chapters of Jesus' teaching as he makes his way from the north where he kind of did a lot of his ministry, his works, Uh, and as he makes his way to Jerusalem where his ultimate end is going to be, uh, Jesus uh, spends most of this time teaching. And he's specifically really been teaching about the theme of salvation, uh, about who gets in. Who doesn't? Who's part of the kingdom? Who's not? Uh, and we talked a few weeks ago about that we need to be ready because we don't know when his time is. We don't know when he's going to come. We talked a couple weeks ago about the exclusivity of Jesus, that that he makes uh, no other claim but to say that, that he is the only way. His is the truth. He is the way. He is the door. Uh, he makes a very exclusive claim of salvation, And then last week we talked about the seed of the kingdom of God and the story of the mustard seed and more. And today, uh, Jesus and Luke continue and he's talking about the narrow door of salvation that's available to everyone. And I want you to just get that picture in your mind, right? It's a narrow door of salvation available to everyone, it's, a, it's kind of an oxymoron. It doesn't really... Uh, those, lang- those words don't go together. It's a narrow door, but it's available to everyone. So let's look at it. Luke chapter 13, starting in verse 22. It says, He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, <clears throat> open to us, and then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we, we ate and drank in your presence, and you, you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south. And recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course." He says, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the truth um, that one day those who recline at your table in the kingdom of God and are saved will and are fellowshipping with you for eternity will come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. They'll come from tribes in Africa and tribes in Asia and tribes in America. They'll be all the peoples of the world will gather around your throne saying salvation belongs to our God. God, and we thank you that we've heard the good news We know the doorway that enters into that, and it's Jesus. And I pray this morning, God, that if there's someone here who doesn't, who is not saved, does not know you, and is not known by you, God, that today would be the day of salvation. So we love you. We pray all this in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So Jesus is going on his way through these towns and these villages, and he's making his way toward Jerusalem. And it sounds like he's, he's pretty close. He's been doing ministry for probably about two and a half years at this point. And most of that has been uh, casting out demons, uh, freeing the oppressed, setting the, the captives free like we saw last week. But ultimately, Jesus didn't come to just do those things. That's part of it. It's part of proving his nature as the Messiah, proving his character. But ultimately, he was sent to go to Jerusalem. Why? To die on the cross, to be resurrected from the grave, to accomplish what he was sent for. And in our passage today, look at verse 23. As he's going along this way, as he's got his face set toward Jerusalem, someone said to him, Lord... Will those who are saved be few? Jesus has been drawing this line in the sand, and we've talked about it week after week after week. You're either with me or you're against me. You're either you're either part of the kingdom or you're not part of the kingdom. And so so this making Jesus is making it very clear there's some who will be saved and there's some who won't. And so this question is asked, Lord, will it be few? Now, I'm a numbers guy, so I love questions as it comes to numbers, because I'm thinking, okay, is it, is it 33% or is it 20%? Are we talking about 5% here? And sadly, Jesus doesn't give us an answer. <laughs> he doesn't tell us. He doesn't go, well, it's actually this number. No, that's not it at all. But I think this man is asking that question this day, not because he's a numbers guy. I think he's asking it because he wants to know, am I included? Am I going to be saved? Are my friends going to be saved? Are my family going to be saved? Is it Because you're drawing this line in the sand and you're saying some are in, some are not. And he's going, man, I wonder, what is, what is my eternity? What is my community's eternity? And so as Jesus often does, he doesn't directly answer the question, right? But he does give an answer. Let's look at it, verse 24. And let's read it again. 24 through 30. He says, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us and he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves cast out and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. Right? He says first, strive to enter through the narrow door. And so he makes it very clear that the pathway to salvation, because that's the context here, the pathway to salvation is a narrow door. He says it's a. He doesn't say the narrow doors. He, he says a, singular, one. There's one way. And this, this door is narrow, right? It's, not a, it's a picture of like a, like a pantry door or a closet door or, or even something smaller than that. It's not, a, it's not a double door. It's not a roll-up garage door. It's not a massive uh, thoroughfare. He says it's a narrow door. And that answers this man's question because <laughs> he asks, will the number who are saved be few? And Jesus says, strive to enter through the narrow door. And the, the, the idea of the door that Jesus is communicating is this, is there is the ability for it to be opened and to be closed. There's a time when the door is open and a time when the door is closed. There's a time when there is a pathway to enter into the kingdom of God to be saved, but then there's also a time where it will be closed. And what he says in verse 24, many will seek to enter and will not be able and so what Jesus is talking about is something future. It's not It's not what it hadn't happened yet, and it hasn't happened to this day. But th- when the time comes that salvation is really needed, many are going to turn and seek for it. Most people don't look for something they don't need or don't feel that they need. And that's true in our day. There's a lot of people that do not believe that they need saving, do not believe that they need a relationship with God because, it, because life is good. Life is put together. Life is clean. But he says that one day many will seek this but they will not be able to find it. Why? Why wouldn't they be able to find it in that day? It's what he says in verse 25. He says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. At some point, The door, the pathway into entering into the kingdom of God will be closed. No one else will be able to enter into it. And the person that gets to decide that is not you nor I. You and I don't get to stand up and say, you're too far gone. You're too messed up. Uh, The time is over. It's just done for you. You got no shot. No, the only one who gets to do that is the father, the master of the house. And he says that one day this door will be closed. And though some at that point knock on the door and beat on it and say, Lord, let us in, they will not. Why? Look at verse 25. The end of it. He will answer them, I do not know where you come from. See, the point that Jesus is making is that those who are saved are those that Jesus knows. Like he knows his sheep. And those who are not saved are those that Jesus does not know. They're his enemies. He's drawing a line in the sand. Those who are saved are friends of God, family of God, in the kingdom of God. Those who are not saved are the enemies of God, the workers of evil. And just like you and I, if someone knocks on your door late at night, there's very few people I'm letting in, Past. 10 p.m., right? That list is pretty small. Most of you were not on it, sadly. Um, Just kidding, just kidding. But that list is very small. I'm not letting in a stranger after 10 p.m., right? I have no idea what his intentions are. He may be my enemy, and that's the point here. These people protest, though, because in their mind, they are not the enemies of God, they don't no they're knocking thinking we're part of your family we're your friends you know we know you and Jesus says that they are not in they say in verse 26 then you will begin to say we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets These people were around Jesus. They had familiarity with him. They knew who he was. We might say they knew a lot about him. But Jesus makes a point. They did not know him. They knew a lot about him. They had been around the things of Jesus, but they really did not have a familial, uh, friendly knowledge, personal relationship with him, right? And that's why the master doesn't let them in. It's not enough to be familiar with the truth of Jesus, that he died on the cross, that he rose from the dead. Lots of people know those facts, but not lots of people have a personal relationship with him. Being familiar with Jesus is not the way to salvation. Knowing about him is not the way to salvation. And that's what he says in verse 27. He says, but he, the master, will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. What God will say, and this is a terrifying, sad thought. Those who thought that they were familiar with and around the things of Jesus will one day go, no, 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 let me in. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of evil. He tells these people who were kind of semi-closed that they cannot go through. Why? Because they are workers of evil. They are enemies of God. This is not how they view themselves. How do they view themselves? Friendly. Now oh, you're, my, you're my homeboy, Jesus. Right? This is, this, they, they feel like they got this connection thing going on with him. And Jesus says, no, the Father says, no, depart from me, you workers of evil. They are the enemies of God. Now, we can insinuate that, we can deduce that this man who asked this question probably was a Jew. He was part of the the people of God, the people that had received God's word and, and who Jesus had come to. And these people viewed, because they were Jewish, because my daddy was Jewish, because his daddy was Jewish, because my father is Abraham, I am a part of the family of God, simply because of that, whether I did everything right or not. And so Jesus is telling those people who have this inherited right that I belong to God, he's calling them what? Workers of evil. He's calling them evil and and enemies of God when they view themselves as the family of God and he tells them to depart look at verse 28 he says depart from me all you workers of evil in that place where they depart to there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth and they'll see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God but they themselves, you yourselves, will be cast out. It's this line in the sand, this separation. There will be the kingdom of God, and then there will be the kingdom of darkness. And the way he describes that kingdom of darkness is a place of a weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hell is an eternal place. And those who do not spend eternity in heaven will spend eternity in hell. It's a place of immense torture and immense pain and suffering because God's presence is nowhere. There's no common grace. There's no mercy of any kind that we experience even today. It's total isolation. And he says there will be weeping, great tears, and anguish. Why? Because they see the kingdom of God, and they see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and those who are part of the kingdom of God, and they themselves are cast out. Some people struggle with why is he, why is hell eternal why doesn 't God just like annihilate why doesn 't he just just take him out and, and why, is, why why is this it? Because the rightful punishment that we deserve because we sinned against God is this I, I explain this to kids in this way when we talk about sin and baptism counseling. if I slap my sister. <laughs> Who may may or may not deserve it? uh, There's a certain level of punishment, right? Maybe I got in trouble with my parents. If I was a kid and I not just slapped my sister, but I reached up and slapped my dad, right? There's a whole nother level of punishment there, and I don't even know what that was because I was not brave enough to do that, right? If I were to slap my principal at school, there may be even a whole nother level of punishment. If I were to slap. The president of the United States, all of a sudden, we're talking about federal charges. We're talking about... Now, this is the same action, slapping my sister, as slapping the president. But the degree of punishment is different. And if we believe that God created the whole earth, and he spoke everything into existence, and he's good and right and perfect, and he's sovereign over all things, and we sin against him, and he's eternal, and he's the most glorious being that ever is or ever will be then the rightful punishment for those who reject him and his offer of salvation is what? Eternity apart from him. Because we wanted nothing to do with him. And that's what he says here. He's drawing a line in his hand and he says, those who have sinned against the creator will spend eternity separated from him. But that's not the only option, right? The other option is that we spend eternity in the kingdom of God. And he says, uh, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, and all the prophets. And so there's this sense that this sounds great to them. Oh, it's great. This is all about the Jews. This is all about God's uh, rescuing and saving his people, the Israelites. But then he says, no, you're going to be cast out. And so who is part of this family? Who is in the kingdom of God? Look at the next verse, 29. 29. This is Jesus, and he says, And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. This is a picture of what we just prayed about a while ago in Revelation 7, that some from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue, will come and be a part of the kingdom of God. It's not just for one ethnicity. It's not just for one family no, it's a narrow door of salvation, but it's available to all. It's available to all the people. And this is shocking for them. Because who are the enemies of God in their mind? Those from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Those who are outside of them and their family. And they think surely we'll be included because of we're, we're relatively near to God But but as Luke is pointing out and as Jesus is pointing out over and over, this is a massive reversal. They thought salvation was only for the Jews, and Jesus is coming and saying, nope, it'll be some from the east and the west and the north and the south. It's an, an inclusion of those who had been excluded. This is the gospel for everyone. The good news of salvation is that everyone has this available to them. Anyone who is in Christ can be saved. Do you see it? The door is narrow, but it's available to everyone. Look at verse 30. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. I think we use this to teach our kids to be selfless. (laughs) I used it the other day uh, with my kids and tried to explain this. I don't think it really worked. Um, But Jesus is not just here teaching us that that we should put others first, although I think that's a very out valid application of this text. What Jesus is saying is that the Jews who were first, they were the first to hear the good news of, of, of the gospel. They were the first to hear uh, the message of salvation. They were the first to have a relationship with God. He's saying that some of those who are first will be last. Why? Because they have rejected Jesus, because their hearts are hard against him. And those who were last, those who were excluded, those who were on the outside, those who were not a part of this insider's club, those people will be first. The Gentiles, the nations, you and I, were part of that. That we were the last to hear the gospel, and we're some of the first that are going to be saved. You see this? It's a massive reversal. And God's heart here is not that he wants to send people to hell. God's heart is not that he wants to, to, to reject certain people and include certain people as if these people are cool, we want them. These people are nice, we want them. God's heart is there's one way to salvation. His name is Jesus. It's a narrow door. And so how many will be saved? I have no idea. Will it be few? I have no idea. Not really, in some sense, because it's some from every tribe in the, in the world. But the point of Jesus' teaching is clear. There is a narrow door to salvation, and it's available to everyone. Let's keep going. Look at verse 31. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. So some of these Pharisees, these religious leaders, we know that some of them are opposed to Jesus. Some of them are with Jesus. Guys like Zacchaeus, that's not a Pharisee. Who am I thinking of? Uh, Nicodemus, that's the one. Guys like that. And there's some of these religious leaders that are on Jesus' side, and so they're warning Jesus. Hey, Herod wants to kill you. What Jesus is saying about a new kingdom, about the kingdom that he's bringing, that doesn't sit well with earthly rulers. And so he's calling Jesus to leave. Let's look at it, verse 32, and here's what Jesus has to say. And he's not really speaking to Herod. He's speaking to us. He's speaking to these Pharisees. It says, and he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform many cures today and tomorrow. And the third day I finish my course. Jesus is prophesying about what he is here to do. And he says that the first, I'm going to heal I'm going to cast out and heal today and tomorrow and the third day. He doesn't literally mean three days. He's talking about the course of his ministry, right? That that he's been healing and he's been casting out, but he says on the third day I will finish my course. He will accomplish what he was sent for when? On the third day. And if your biblical ears don't perk up at that language, they should. Why, Why does that phrase matter? The third day. Because it's on the third day after being crucified on a Friday and in the tomb on a Saturday. It's on the third day on Sunday that he accomplishes what he came for. To pay the penalty for sin. To rise up from the grave proving that death has no more power. Yeah, he's he's cast out demons. He's healed. He's kind of dealt a little gut punches to the enemy. But on the third day he's coming to fulfill, to finish his course. And when he rises from the dead on the third day, that's the ultimate arrival of the kingdom of God. That's the ultimate uh, expression of power. The enemy's greatest weapon was death, and it is no more. And he tells him, verse 33, he says, "Never." I can't say this word, nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. So Jesus is saying that his time is not yet. He's got to go along his way. He's still got stuff to do, but he's coming back. Why? Because that city of Jerusalem is the place where the prophets have been killed. Every time someone comes proclaiming the word of the Lord to the people of, the, of God, what did, what did they do? They hardened their hearts, and they rejected it, and ultimately, many of them they killed, often in Jerusalem, And so Jesus is saying, I'm I'm speaking the word of the Lord to you. There's a way of salvation. Yeah, it's narrow. It's available for everyone. But your hearts are hard, and you're rejecting this message. And he says that one day he will come back to Jerusalem. Look at it, verse 34. He says, "Oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often? Let me stop there. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Jesus' heart is broken at this news, right? Jerusalem is is their capital, but it means what? City of peace. It means city of peace. Jerusalem. Shalom is a word we use, Uh, it's the same root. It's the city of peace. And this city of peace, instead of being a place of peace, has been the place that has killed the prophets, has killed the apostles, those sent by God. And so Jesus right here is weeping. He's saddened at the fact that their hearts are turning hard against the word of God. And he's wishing that it didn't have to be so. But he knows that he has to do what he was called to do. He has to go through what he was called to do. He has to accomplish his mission. And his mission will bring peace to the city of peace. He will bring ultimate and final shalom. And here's what he says, verse 34. He says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing Jesus is saying, my heart has been to rescue you. You've been scattered. You've been all over the place. You've been been sent in exile to different countries. And he's saying, how often would I have gathered you to me? How often would I have brought you under my care and my love? But what's the problem? They are not willing. Their heart is hardened. They are opposed to Jesus. They are opposed to the word of God. And you can see his, his heart. That that though we proclaim a gospel of exclusivity, that the only way to be saved is through Jesus, that message of exclusivity, that narrow door, is available to everyone. His heart is that no one would turn away from him and that everyone would come to salvation. But he knows that their heart is hard and they're gonna kill him. And that's what he says in verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken because of their hard-heartedness. They are those who are going to depart. They are those who are going to be on the outside of the door. But the only benefit of this is that the gospel now is available for everyone. It's available to white Americans. It's available to black West Africans. It's available to Asians, to Anybody, anybody and everybody, it doesn't matter. The gospel is available to them. You don't have to have the right father, Abraham. No, you have to have the right father, God. And the only way to that is through Jesus. The Jewish house has been forsaken, but the door is opening to the east and to the west and to the north and the south. He's offering salvation to the whole world. And he says in verse 35, And I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so Jesus is leaving. He's getting out of Dodge. His time is not yet. But he says, one day I'm going to come back, and you're going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a quote from Psalm 118, and it's what they'll quote as he comes riding in on a donkey, as they lay down palm branches, and they're saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's this praise for him, only to have about five days later them crucify him. And what Jesus is pointing us to as he teaches about salvation is that he is headed, he has set his face like a flint to accomplish the purpose that he was sent for. And the purpose was this, to provide a way of salvation for everyone through him. Now, all of that to say this, the door is still open today the door is still open that door has not closed there is still a way for salvation one day that door will close and we all think we have so much time we have we think we have so it, it's going to be down the road and I'll deal with it down then I, maybe when I get older maybe when I have kids maybe when maybe when the kids leave whatever I, I, i'll get right with god then we think we have so much time And what is he teaching us? No, today is the day of salvation. So don't believe the lie today that you'll have time one day. You won't. You have no idea. And so the the call today is to put your faith in Jesus to save you. How can you enter that door? How can you be saved? It's very clear. It's only through Jesus. It's faith in Jesus, not yourself. The enemy tempts us with the lie that we are good enough and we don't need salvation, that we got it together. We, 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 don't, we don't need somebody to come and rescue us. We can do this on our own. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe the lie that just being around, being near, being familiar with the things of God and, and church and all that sort of stuff, that that's what gets you through that door. What gets you through that door is knowing Jesus, having faith in Jesus and him knowing you, not knowing about him. So don't believe the lie that just knowing about Jesus is enough. Don't believe the lie that being religious, being active in church, that giving to the church, whatever it is that you you, you place your kind of hope in, that this makes me good. Don't believe that lie. No one is good. The only one who was is Jesus. Believe this truth, that Jesus died in your place, the death that you deserved so that you could come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and recline at his table and enjoy fellowship with him forever. The only way to salvation is Jesus and it's available to every one of us. Let me pray. God, we thank you that you have included us, those who are in you, That though we were outsiders, though we were broken, though we were rebels and enemies of you, God, you made a way. You opened the door so that we could come in. God, thank you for the grace of that. We don't deserve that. We do not belong by our nature in your family, but you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place to rescue us and bring us out of the world and into your kingdom. God, we thank you for your salvation. I pray today that if anybody doesn't have that, anybody doesn't know you personally, anybody has not put their faith in you, that today would be the day of salvation. God, we love you, and we pray all this in your son's name. Amen.